Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from our pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined, of course, by the irrepressible Jeremy Goldcorn, the man behind Danwei.com. How are you, Jeremy? Very, very well, Kaiser. How are you? Dude, you were in, in Chengdu for like... Ten days? Is that yeah, it? yeah. Tell us about Chengdu. How was that? Was it a good it's time? a lovely city. I mean, I was cooped up in a, a room most of the time working, but I, I got to uh, experience a little of the city. It's beautiful. It's as relaxed as they, uh, as it is in legend, and as it was ten years ago, which was the last time I was there. But there's uh, a lot of business there now. Did, did you have your ears cleaned and drink tea and lays about? I didn't and play have mahjong. my ears cleaned. Drank a little bit of tea, ate a lot of good food, listened to some good music. Uh. Uh, I was there because my wife is in this recording project with this old folk singer, so I got to listen to some nice music. Oh, great! I hope that we get um, a chance to hear some of it at some point. Yeah, very good. And uh, yeah, so Jeremy, it's summer, and uh, we've been taking a little break from you know too much hard news talk these few weeks, as our listeners probably have, have already catched on to. Um, but uh, some of you may recall. So we're on to light, lighter topics. This one certainly isn't too light. But some of you might recall that not too long ago, Jeremy offered as his recommendation on the podcast a terrific website called Phonemica. That's phonemica.net, which was endeavoring to crowdsource audio recordings with stories by people from all over China in their native Fangye, in their native dialect or language. And we'll get to the, the difference between the two in just a second. Anyway, today we're thrilled to have with us here in the studio the two founders of this most excellent and noble project. Mr. Kellen Parker and Mr. Steve Hansen. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the tremendous diversity of languages and dialects within what's called Chinese and about the danger of extinction that many of these languages and dialects face and the very different reactions that Chinese people have had to the Phonemica project. Kellen, Steve, welcome to Seneca, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Great hey. to be on the show. Um, so um, let's, one at a time, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your backgrounds and, and how you, you got interested in local Chinese languages. And uh, well, why don't we start with you, Steve? Well, okay, background. I started studying Chinese probably about 2001. In uh, 2007, my company sent me over to, um, to here to Beijing. Uh, uh-huh. Set up, uh, we just purchased a small company. At that point, I, I, I could speak. I had, um, uh, you know, I'm so used to doing this interview in, in, in Chinese. In Chinese, it's kind of right. hard to put it into English. That's what I uh, do it in Chinese. I'll, I'll translate. <laughs> so... Oh seven, I'm over here. Uh, nice assignment, fancy apartment, uh, and I didn't have much time on my hands. But I thought, well, I'm going to start a blog because I'm starting to hear like I can hear stuff that's different. My Chinese was okay at that point, conversational, and I could tell that the people around me who are Beijingers were speaking differently from the folks who were announcing on the radio and this kind of thing. So I started a blog called Beijing Sounds 2007, and. As blogs go, I ended up bumping into Kellen's blog probably about 2008. Um, and we were doing some of the same things. We were doing, um, like I was, recording, I was recording Beijingers and sort of analyzing their, um, their speech against, against uh, standard Mandarin. How much and analysis can one do of... That's my know. question. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, a painful amount, trust me. But... Uh, um, so it, it, you used to post uh, charts showing, um, you know, different uh, frequencies 
right in, in in Beijing speech. I seem to remember there'd be a sound recording and a little chart illustrating the, the actual physical properties of Beijing Hua, right? Well, well yeah. So um, I do I do have a little bit of linguistics background. I got a, a master's degree in English and language uh, English language and linguistics from University of Arizona. Oh, you you're from Tucson, or you spent time in Tucson? I, I spent time. In Tucson. I, I'm a native Tucson. Oh, not a native. I grew up in Tucson. Right? Oh, really? Went to yeah. high school there. Did grad school there as well. Oh, yeah. I really cool. like that. Time. I mean, only two years there, but uh, yeah, it's a great time. Um, yeah, and and that's that's actually so that, that's the only linguistics background I have. But I've, uh-huh. I've always been interested. A in masters is well, you know <laughs> more than that's most. Yeah, <laughs> master, masters isn't much. <laughs> but uh, all right, yeah. So I have my uh, my Prot charts. You know, Prot is a is a linguistic analysis program. Uh, did that and uh, ended up online bumping into Kellen and. And he was in Nanjing, Some, something like that. Shanghai. Nobody's quite clear where he was. He was where where cool, cool stuff for us? I mean, it's it's a mystery. Where were you actually? Uh, I think at that point I was in Changzhou in Jiangsu. Okay, Changzhou. So. And he was blogging about uh, language issues down there, and we started talking. And I kept encouraging him to post more recordings, kind of like I was doing. And so we, you know, we were doing that, and we got to know each other. And uh, I think if you. Fast forward to 2009, that's when he first introduced the ID. He wrote me an email, which I can still find thanks to Google. Um, so my, in my Gmail, I've got this thing that says, hey, you know, maybe we should do something that involves all of Chinese. What? And that's kind of yeah. how we got started. Okay, what about you, Colin? How did you, you stumble into this? Uh, actually, I moved to China uh, from the Middle East, and I, I learned Arabic and studied some Hebrew and spent some time in Jordan um, and was sort of familiar with the idea of, of all of these regional dialects between Lebanon and, and Iraq and Morocco and how there still is the sort of standard language, like the, the Arabic equivalent of Putonghua. Um, I, I sort of came to is China. Is there? I mean, like, what's, what's the standard? Is it Egyptian now? or is No, it... well, this, the, the formal standard is called Fusha, and it's, it's sort of, um, I mean, English, it's just modern standard Arabic, and it's heavily okay. based on Quranic Arabic. Okay. Um, Egyptian is certainly the most popular because they have the... Popular culture. And right, the movies and, and pop music and things like that. So anyone can understand Egyptian, and it's sort of influencing Be- other dialects pretty strongly. But for the most part, someone from Iraq can't easily communicate with someone from Sudan unless they're speaking standard formal Arabic. Which is like sort of the Hejaz region Arabic? Uh, you know, it's sort of, it's kind of nothing. It's it's not geographically based. It's just the, it's the media is in this for sure. But it's it's really just sort of based on the Quran more than anything. Okay. So, okay. But yeah, so I, I uh, as part of a study abroad program for my undergraduate university, I came to Shanghai for a summer and really liked it a lot more than living in the Middle East. It's sort of a little bit constricting to, to be living in Jordan and trying to make friends and meet girls and things like that. So go to the bar. So, yeah, so I, uh, I liked it a lot. And at the end of my two months, I sort of, you know, realized that I probably had to come back to China and invest some more time into it. So uh, I, I went back briefly and um, then returned to China and have basically been here or next to here ever since. And so, so you're, you're currently based in Taipei, right? I'm outside of Taipei. I'm at uh, Tsinghua University in okay. Taiwan. So the other Tsinghua University. The other Tsinghua. <laughs> They're the good Tsinghua. Right. So, uh, but depends. Right. Depends, yeah. depends so. on which mountain you're standing on. Yeah. Right. Right. But, so um, let's, let's dive into Phonemica, uh, which is a, a great project. What year did you guys actually launch the website? Launch is such a strong word. Um, we've, <laughs> we've been sort of brainstorming it since 2009. Mm-hmm. I think probably the... The basic form that it is now is 2011, and then we, we sort of spent the last year getting everything together, uh, getting ready for 
actually publicizing it and getting more people involved. Okay, so how it works basically? It's crowdsourcing. You you ask people to tell stories in their local Fangyan, right? In, uh, whether it's uh, an entirely separate, unintelligible Chinese language or a dialect of of Mandarin or a yeah, dialect right. of one of the major language groups within the family. It's called Chinese. How how many discernible regional language variants are there in China? What are we talking about? Um, Kellen answer that one. So there are about 2,800 administrative divisions in China proper, just in the PRC. Okay. And so each one of those is going to have their own regional variation. Some of those don't have a Mandarin that's that far from Putonghua because in parts of Dongbei, for example, there was traditionally a Mongolian region or Manchu or something like that. The Mandarin dialect of that town is almost exactly standard Mandarin. Right, but uh, I, I I discovered that. I mean, I'm one of one of one of the Dumbei mm. guys that that reads a story. I I can't remember what it's, it's it's some sort of fairy tale or folk tale. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Oh, what I know it is. But one. it was yeah. just ridiculously standard. And I'm like, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It's I mean, it, it really is because it's not an area that traditionally spoke Chinese until the last fifty or so years. Right. So, right. but. Um, Within each of these about 3,000 divisions, if we include, let's say, Taiwan and Malaysia and Singapore and Korea and other places where there's there's Chinese-speaking overseas communities, mm -hmm. um, we're sort of hoping to get about four different age groups. It would be great to have a 20-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 60-year-old, and an 80-year-old because um, I don't know about Beijing, but certainly in Shanghai, there's a huge division, a huge difference between the way that a 25-year-old speaks and a 45-year-old speaks, just with, with Mandarin influence and things like this. Wow, that's that's so. that's great. I mean, that, that's an awful lot. I mean, if you do uh, f four of each, I mean, we're talking about 10, oh, uh, north Thousands of 10,000 yeah. right, recordings. Yeah. But, uh, wow, it's very, very uh, ambitious. Um, so languages are vanishing from the earth at a horrifyingly fast rate. I mean, I, I recently read um, The World Before Yesterday by uh, Jared Diamond, mm -hmm. and um, he, he talks about this, in, of course, with reference to New Guinea. Um, I've read that they disappear something like um, one language dies every two weeks or something like that. There are only about 7,000 on earth, and the Cambridge History, or I'm sorry, the Cambridge Handbook of Endangered Languages uh, says that between 50 and 90 percent of languages will be gone, will be extinct by the year 2100. Are you guys sitting out to preserve language? Is that, is that what you're doing, or is this...? This is sort of a, it's a tough question to answer because it's sort of, um, we're, we're definitely hoping to preserve this. Uh, my own take is sort of more of a, a parallel to biological diversity view, which is, so we have all of these people in the world that speak English or Spanish or Mandarin, but actually English, Spanish, and Mandarin don't cover that much variety of the total variety of languages in the world. Sure. So the ones that are disappearing are ones that are like uh, object, verb, subject, word order in, in a sentence or something that's just crazy and, and not not what we're used to. Yoda. Right, right exactly. So, so we're definitely losing this kind of diversity. It would be great to preserve some of this because certainly within Chinese, there's a lot of stuff that you don't find in other languages, even tone sandi in Tianjin dialect versus Taiwanese Min versus uh, Shanghainese are all completely different systems. So if we're really going to ever understand how tone is used across languages, then we have to be able to preserve some of these records. And you can do this on paper, but obviously not, not as well as if you're actually having the recordings from the speakers. If I may speak as an amateur, and at this point I should also disclose as a small contributor to Phenomica's crowdfunding campaign, because I really believe in the project. And whenever they need money, everybody just give them a ton of money, because I mean, yeah, this yeah. is, I think, a really important project. So <laughs> I, I should declare my bias. Um, but um, 
you know, I, I find that aside from a sort of academic interest in languages, it's just words are one of these things. I mean, it's like art. It's like free fun. It's just such nice stuff. And to preserve words that are going to be lost otherwise, they'll really be lost forever if you don't preserve them now. It just seems like such a magical project. And, and yet, and, and yet there are people who do who disagree with that, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But let me just ask you a very basic question. Do you guys see yourself as then like a, a force against... Uh, you know, bulwark against the Fangyan erosion, or do you guys kind of concede that that these are all kind of moribund anyway, and you're just going to do your best to I mean, archive them English, before they're lost? English, as we're speaking it right now, is ultimately moribund because you you can't stop language change, and and certainly like you know if if I decide to permanently relocate to Taiwan and have kids and teach them Mandarin instead of English, there's not really somebody that can tell me not to do that. So I don't think that we're going to actually be able to prevent people from no longer speaking these languages or these dialects. I think yeah. that's inevitable. The forces that are at work here are much, much stronger than anything we could possibly influence. You've got, you know, just simple examples, you know, uh, to somebody from Shanghai, somebody from Hunan, they, meet, uh, they move to Beijing, they have kids. What do they speak? They, speak, they watch CCTV. Yeah, well, they watch sure. CCTV. Yeah, I, I understand that, that, that um, there is that uh, sort of historical inevitability to... Uh, language loss, but, but yeah, I mean, just like 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 English, right? Um, I, I I've always noticed that in in American English, and it, you have to actually work to be able to do that uh, news on parade, the nineteen forties style of broadcast. Yeah, of, of I mean, it, it's when you encounter somebody of that from that generation, and they speak what to you sounds like standard English. It's or what, what they believe is standard English. It, it sounds positively strange Um, yeah Yeah, and i I mean i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either because well aside from the fact that it's inevitable there are some great benefits for for having a lingua franca where people from really different regions and different cultures can communicate like i wouldn't have the friends that i have if i couldn't speak mandarin for example steve you guys are just doing uh chinese then you're not actually doing manchu or dai or 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 yeah right yeah this is a scope <laughs> issue. Um, it's kind of funny. If you go back to 2009, maybe 2010, Kellen, you can jump in if you disagree with this. There was a certain point in time w- which our scope was Mandarin only. And part of the reason for that is if you, and we're doing that right now, if you look at, well, if you look at Mandarin just by itself, there are dialects that if other Mandarin speakers can't understand. I mean, there's mutual un- unintelligibility within Mandarin. Hmm. And, but then when we, when we started getting into it and we said, well, let's draw the line here, you can't draw the line because where, where Mandarin ends is really hard to say. So, yeah, we've, we've chosen Sinitic. That's how we choose to represent it. Um, and that includes everything that's a common descendant of of. Ancient Chinese? Old, old Chinese. Old and Chinese. some things that might not be. There's a couple uh, sort of maybe Sinitic languages spoken in uh, Sichuan or Hunan that, that might actually only sound Sinitic because of later influence <clears throat> right. from the neighboring languages. So even now, it's not that clear of a definition. But we do have to have some limit, or it's just it's too big. Right. I mean, it's sort of a fade as you move into the, the more Tibetan or more Burman or well, more Thai. Well, I mean, not not too much there. It's it's actually more specifically in the southwest where it's really mountainous. And if you if you look at a dialect map of that region, it's so astounding that somebody actually went through and drew all of those borders and figured out this tiny little village speaks Hakka, but all of the villages around them speak this one dialect of Gan. Um, it's those areas where the borders are a lot less clear. We can easily say that the 
in most cases, the Yangtze River divides Mandarin from Wu, like Shanghainese and Suzhou. But there are parts, uh, for example, Danyang, a town in Jiangsu, where the border's really not that clear cut, and you have started to see some blending. Um, I don't know that there's a, there's there's very much of a blend between Tibetan versus Sinitic, um, though I'm I'm sure that if I actually got out there, there would be so. Well, hopefully those listeners at home um, who are listening on a PC or something can hop on and, and check out phonemica.net right away. Uh, but for those of you who are on, uh, you know, listening on your iPod on the road, uh, why don't you guys explain how the site is set up um, and, and, and how a, contribu- a contribution is actually processed? So if you register for the site, then you're able to do anything that you would possibly be able to do on the site and you can register for free and and all we need is uh basically you pick a username pick a password give us a valid email address so that we can uh make sure that you're not you know selling louis vuitton fakes or something um on the site i know right so we've had a few already um so what happens is basically is if you know someone who speaks a dialect of some small town or if you yourself speak it then we would get a recording of about three minutes give or take we've had anywhere from 17 seconds to 17 minutes in length uh speaking the dialect of that town of of whatever whatever they grew up speaking to their parents with their peers and whatnot um you send us in the recording as well as some basic information for example uh, how old are you what is the hometown uh, what language did you speak to your parents? Sort of really basic things that are still linguistically relevant. That's on, all on a form. You don't have to remember it. Yeah, there's there's a form that we ask people to send us as well. So uh, once you send us the recording, um, give me about 24 hours to process it, get it all set up on the site. And then once it's on the site, anybody can go in there, transcribe it. Um, we do transcription in Mandarin and English for people who aren't familiar with the dialect, but then we're also doing transcription in the International Phonetic Alphabet, Mm -hmm. and we're doing a sort of character-based authentic transcription. So, for example, if if you use a different word in your dialect than what they use in Mandarin, we would want the character for that word. So it's sort of a just a more faithful transcription in Chinese characters. IPA can capture every every morpheme that you've you've come across um, i mean yeah for the most part I, I ipa is absolutely not perfect but for the degree that you can expect in crowdsourcing it's more than adequate wow. so and what are we up to now how many recordings have you actually put on the site at this point on the site right now there are 205 recordings uh i have a few more that i've processed but not uploaded yet wow 205 that's not, not, not a bad start and this is for in a, a couple of years well, that's this two. is a couple of months. A couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I thought I somehow I thought you would launch in eleven. <laughs> well, we so we I've I've sort of I'm the only one that's actually building the site, and I'm doing it in my free time in addition to having a job and classes and like that. So it's been really slow going. But, I, I know the feeling. Um, so we we had what forty five recordings in April, and uh, wow, that was sort of fighting tooth and nail for each one, and. Um, pestering all of our friends to go out and do recordings and, and asking our neighbors if they'd tell a story, things like that. Yeah, if you want a slow progress story, you have to think we've, we launched the beta site in May of 2012, and almost a year later we had 45 recordings, and yeah, just fighting tooth and nail, as Kellen was saying. But a lot of that, too, was trial and error, mm-hmm. figuring out what works for the site, yeah, what, what right. do users respond to, what's too complicated that we didn't realize was. Uh, what I love about it is how um, the interface is just terrific. I thought it was really inspired. I understand you're the coder. Yeah, I'm the coder, coder and, and designer, designer and everything. Kellen, wow, that's, 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 that's Kellen's amazing, man. I'll, I'll say it for him. I mean, my hat is off to you, well, sir. You. I mean, that, me too. And, really and that great. brings me to actually a question because we were talking about non-Sinetic uh, languages. Um, 
would it be possible for you to sort of expand the Phenomica network by basically sharing or licensing out the code so to do different languages, say Indian languages? That's or a great, great so idea. Arabic. Steve mentioned how before we were looking just at Mandarin, and I remember the I remember the day clearly because I was so happy to hear him say it that we would do all Sinitic languages because I was really wanting to see this done for uh, Shanghainese and other Wu dialects. But yeah, sort of as soon as we got to the point that we realized that we were building a platform instead of just a website. Uh, it's something we've always talked about doing that we could always license this out or, or even just make it open source and give people the ability to set up their own phonemica for Indian languages or even uh, Taiwanese Aboriginal languages as, as big or as small of a scope as you'd want to do. I don't think Colin's going to toot his own horn enough. I, I think the, uh, the the site is just amazing. And if you think about so the basic format of the of each page is or each recording so each recording has its own page and you've got uh, all these tools for playback each recording is divided into segments of like four to six Th- that's seconds. what i was going to say i mean that's yeah. what i absolutely love is how the actual text shifts at you know right along with right it's it's it's, it's for the record it's steve so... wanted me to get rid of that function Really, no, no, no. <laughs> Kellen, Kellen misunderstood for the record. I, 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 you, you can also you can also do it manually. You can also just you know, okay, do, okay, you know. okay. Enough of the the you know, mutual you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I'm, I'm let's not actually talking to, about a useful feature. Let's get on to the criticism here. Yeah, yeah. All right. So huh. there was a post on China Smack and other places of uh, you know Chinese people reading about your guy's site and kind of accusing you of being spies or up to no good. Yeah, you know what's up with that? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know it's it's, fu- it's funny when I first uh, when I was sort of getting used to the the sort of expat blog scene and whatnot when I moved to China and China Smack was just getting started. I specifically remember telling my friend, I, I hope I never show up on China Smack for as long as I'm in China. I hope that never happens. You don't want to show up on China Smack. I really don't. But um, yeah. And did I explain the background to that question properly? You know, no. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine that 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 was the real line of criticism. I, I mean, I imagine that you guys well, more more got the you know. I mean, if there's going to be a hostile foreign force yeah. argument, you're gonna it's going to be was, you're trying the, to divide. Oh, uh, no. I mean, China uh, divided somehow. The, the criticism was bullshit, but what I think was quite funny was it just seemed to come out of nowhere. You're like, oh, we're trying to record like Chinese and uh, you know encourage yeah. a positive Chinese identity. People are like, oh, they must be spies. Can I, <laughs> so <laughs> it's, just, it's it's such a, no, you know, a so, so Steve, can I get into some of the details of one of our? One of my, my favorite <laughs> criticisms. Sure, so, okay, so back in World War II, the U.S. government used Navajo speakers as yeah, the code Navajo talkers. talkers and right. and yeah. I guess it, I guess China used Wenjo speakers against Japan in the same way, or so I've been told. And, and so a lot of the – one criticism we've heard again and again is, well, if, if these foreigners know about Fangyan, we can no longer use Wenjo Hua as code talk. <laughs> as as if we're doing anything other than high bit encryption at this point, right? So, <laughs> so that's that's sort of one of my favorite uh, criticisms. But we yeah, certainly I, got a few. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of silly, and I, I think it gave us a new perspective on China Smack. Um, in that, uh, in that, because we read the original article and the comments, and if you look at the percentage of comments that were negative, where, where did this show up originally? Sohu, I think. Sohu. Yeah, I I'm can't, surprised it's not Nettie. Can't quite remember because there, there was I a certain point in which it was sort of the first media attention we were getting, and we actually we actually read the stuff that was out there. We don't do that anymore, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's that. <laughs> but if you, you read, know, the, I love the internet. I mean, isn't it great? Yeah, yeah don't you just love the internet? It's like just full of like nice, cuddly people. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's, it, at that point, we realized that uh, <laughs> we realized that uh, China Smack is is taking 
a large percentage of the negative comments and a very small percentage of the, the comments that are refuting those saying, you know, you guys are full of it, so on. We've had a lot of reporters <clears throat> ask us for our response to the criticism and well, and the thing is like, you're you're a foreigner doing something in China. There's always going to be criticism, no matter how noble or fantastic. Like, I would love to read Dashan's hate mail sometime, because I'm sure it exists <laughs> for as much as people otherwise, you know, publicly like Dashan. I'm, I'm sure there's also been people who are just as upset that he's, like, stealing the spotlight from some Chinese person, or I don't know. I think that most of his detractors are other, you know, white dudes. <laughs> we, just, we just don't like being asked if we've met Dashan every time we get in a taxi is all. <laughs> no, so we've we've certainly asked. I guess what was what was the last one we had a, a reporter email us who uh These are mostly Chinese reporters. Uh well so far, I mean lately they've all been Chinese. We talked to uh one woman for South China Morning Post. We Well we did Wall Street Journal we did early Wall Street on. Journal. Uh we did the Atlantic um and Tea Leaf Nation, which was then also picked up by the Atlantic. So we have talked to some, some Western media as well, but lately it's all been Chinese. We actually just came from a radio interview for for a Beijing uh, AM station. So, Great. But the, yeah, the last guy, he was like, has anybody ever told you you're sticking your nose in other people's business? And this was like one of his interview questions. And <laughs> like, yep. Well, surely you've gotten a lot of support as well from, from Chinese people who are enthused about your You really can't overemphasize that. I mean, the, yeah. the amount of support that we've gotten compared to the criticism, I, I think, is just massive. Yeah, so let's yeah. not dwell on the criticism here, Jeremy, right? Yeah, no, I know, but one has to air the dirty oh, laundry if sure, sure. one doesn't want to be a complete suck-up, right? So, well, you know, now we've got it out of the way. Let's... Uh, you know, I think, I think, though, there is something to be said for a lot of the reporters, and certainly the guy that we talked to today where we've had a few reporters come up they're clearly trying to get us into some controversy and and trick us into saying something that because we're doing all the interviews in chinese so i'm sure it would be not that difficult for them to do but get us to mm. say something controversial or just cause some trouble mm. but we've also had quite a few reporters including today's where these are guys that are really trying to understand what's happening with the program and what we're doing and and have even offered to help us gather recordings and stuff so and we, I mean, we have almost 5,000 users on the site right now, so, so clearly there's been plenty of, of positive response to it. Well, I, and to encourage more positive response, I mean, I, wanna, I want people to, to, uh, to know how they can support Phonemica and what they should be doing. Uh, I mean, li- our listenership, which con- is, consists of a lot of people who are interested in China, I think um, it would be a, a, a perfect group to, uh, to pitch in. Well, I think the nice thing about um, the program is it's, it's really easy to help. Like... Easiest thing you could possibly do, you could register for the website. If you're, a, you're listening to this podcast, you speak English, you can go translate some of the, uh, uh, the recordings that are on there. There's lots of – so our basic line of transcription is, as Kellen was describing it, the, the, the actual words written in Chinese characters. And then, then there's a secondary line that's translated into Mandarin right. if necessary. But there's also a line for English, and honestly, for most of those, it's blank. And – it's a lot easier to translate than to to write down the original characters, but it's it's nice, you know, if you can look at the English. I, I'd say that's an easy place to start. The next obvious place to go is uh, go do recordings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely harder if uh, if you're a foreigner 
um, than if you're native Chinese. I, I mean, most of our recordings come from native Chinese, and they're interviewing friends and family. Steve, what, what's the technical <clears throat> requirements? Is an iPhone enough to do a recording? Just Tell make us. a good quality. Yeah, the, an, iPhone, an iPhone is fine. The built-in microphone for an iPhone Just is use fine. the voice recorder function. Use the voice iPhone. recorder function. We did have somebody do a recording over FaceTime, the sort of video right. thing, over the, the 3G network, and it, it wasn't great, but it, right. was, it, it worked. And what if what you are use the three? phone, like what, 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 what settings, you know, how should you save it? Is there anything yeah. special one should know? I, I think it's even simpler than that, if I could say. So what we... Sometimes we, reje- we, we reject recordings because um, the quality is really bad. And what we say when we reject them is, please do this with a high-quality high quality audio setting, so that's easy, whatever you do on the iPhone. Do it in a quiet room and get your microphone somewhere near the, the speaker's mouth. But don't inhale it because we've <laughs> that too. Right. Yeah. Um, you guys surely have also been, been contacted by, by people who've heard about your, your prod project from other countries. Have you encountered yourself similar projects in other geographies around the world? Well, the one that comes to mind for me is when I was, I, I don't even remember how I found it, but there's a, a site in Portuguese, uh, in Portugal, that is doing all the different varieties of Portuguese that are spoken. Mozambican and Angola. Well, actually, this one's Brazilian. only in Portugal, oh, really? but it's looking at all the dialects. But uh, I think the site's specifically set up by a professor at a university, huh. and so he's doing all the recordings himself. And um, there's a few that are like that in different countries. I'm not sure. There's another Arabic one that you sent to me. Well, that was Reddit. There's a, um, I'm sure listeners are familiar with Reddit. There was a Reddit. some some, some the younger ones will right. be <laughs> so so Reddit uh, so Reddit is basically the the um, American version of four chan or yeah <laughs> so I mean so Reddit is it's like a forum site and there's all these different sub forums and one and there's one specifically for people who are Arabic language speakers and they all told the same really well known folk tale that was only probably about a paragraph or two of text and they told it in their uh, regional dialect of whatever Arabic is spoken in that country. Um, the Economist actually picked that up and wrote an article about oh, that right. about a month ago, I believe. So, But for the most part, that was something organized through a forum and just put on Reddit. I'm not sure that we've encountered anybody who's kind, trying to do something that's, that's crowdsourced uh, as a permanent site. So, Well, you know what? I'm going to do two things. I'm going to contribute myself. And I'm I'm going to go out and do some recordings for you guys. That's what awesome. I'm great. Yeah. yeah. And I, I hope you guys listening out there, if you have, um, you know, friends who speak dialects like say the Toisan dialect. I mean, this is this one's an interesting one because it's basically extinct in, in oh, mainland yeah. China, right? Yeah. And, sure. and in Chinatown communities around the world, it's quite commonplace. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we are trying to get overseas Chinese. So if you're listening and you're not in China, you're in San Francisco or Toronto or something, we're also very much interested in, in the different dialects that are spoken in places like Korea or Singapore or Toronto. Uh, so. Or Johannesburg. Or Johannesburg. Or Calcutta, okay. turns out. I don't, I don't think... Maldives, Mauritius. Cal- Cal- is it right? Wait, I don't think we have a single uh, non-Greater China recording yet. We have tried. I've contacted every uh, overseas Chinese community newspaper... I've been able to get a contact information for, and I've left messages in Korea on crew message boards. And we've definitely tried, but yeah, we don't have a single one yet. Okay, well, you hear that call to action, cynical listeners, a call to action. Get out there and do your Chinatown communities and you know, spread the word. I think it's a it's an awesome project, and uh, I'm really glad you guys can come in and, and spend time. Uh, one last question. What is the weirdest ass dialect that you have yet encountered on the side. I mean, if, if somebody wants to go listen to something of the 205 or so recordings, what's going to just 
boggle the mind. The, and, uh, the, especially if they're a Mandarin speaker or somebody right. who studied Mandarin, they need to listen to the 13th recording that we've done. The speaker's name is Dan Dan, like Dan, like red, uh-huh. the color red. Cinnabar. Right. Yep. She is from a uh, town in northern Jiangsu, and people from two towns over have no idea what she's saying. Uh, she's actually a friend of mine, and I asked her about a year after I did the recording if she would help me transcribe it because nobody can understand. And she's like, "I'm I'm too busy for this." It's a Sube, it, so. a Sube. It is. Like yep, yep. She's a. Yep, there, that is weird sounding stuff. I mean, it reminds me of. Do you guys, do you guys remember this, Jeremy? You remember this this um, very recent Microsoft commercial? That, oh yeah, yeah, right. Yep. Oh. And where, where everyone was, was sort a of fake Asian language. No, it wasn't fake though. It was, I thought it was like a, a amalgamation of it was Ruyan. It turns out to be Ruyan, the dialect of a little town. Oh, really? Where, yeah. Do you remember when that plane crash happened in 1998 or, or so, or 99? Vaguely. 98, I think. I actually spent, I was I was in Ruyan during that, that time. Interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I heard people talking. I said, that, that is just a bizarre-ass accent. I mean, it's, uh-huh. it's really, really. Well, just to add, there's, there's one recording that, that we got mm-hmm. fairly recently from uh, Hainan. Uh, you know, island in the south, right? And um, after we got the recording and Kellen put it up, then we got all of a sudden we got several comments saying this is not a Semitic language. Uh, and, sounds like it's us, though. And and so both of us, uh, I mean, we can't understand it, but we go back and listen. We're like, well, there's things in there that sound Semitic. So I ran it by a, a professor of uh, linguistics that I know. And not Victor, was it? No, no, here here at Beida. Okay. And uh, and he listened to it carefully. He sent back his opinion. He says, I'm fairly confident that this is a, a Sinitic language or else it is a, um, an Aboriginal language that's, that's taken, yeah, taken so much influence from Sinitic that it's practically Sinitic. And he actually thought it might be a dialect of Cantonese, and we'd previously classified it as Min based on proximity to, to other dialects. Fascinating. Yeah, Fascinating. But, yeah the, the Fangian situation in Hainan is is It's incredible. out of control. <laughs> It really is. It's. I mean, it's because of all the. I mean, why? 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 What? What? what Kellen can probably tell you know, it better. What, than what, yeah. I mean, I understand it in, in places like Fujian, right, where you have all these um, basically impassable uh, mountain valleys. I mean, where where you have separation, this physical separation. But why in a place like Hainan would you have such? You know, a lot of it has to do with people fleeing, and as as different dynasties spread south, people fled south, and so there's actually all sorts of really interesting routes that you can trace. And it turns out southern Min is closer to Shanghainese than bordering northern Min, which mm. which gets right up there. And it's all it's all relatable back to these these routes of migration as people are fleeing. And Hainan has a really small pocket of Hakka speakers. Right. It has a lot of Min speakers, and it has like three or four Austronesian languages as well, which are sort of similar to uh, Tagalog. Or, or the Taiwanese Austronesian languages, but but yeah, I mean, I think I think way back when that whole area was a lot more linguistically diverse, um, and as as Northerners pushed south, they replaced the last Northerners who pushed south pushing them further <laughs> south. So it's a long history of uh, not sharing well. <laughs> well, great. You know, um, I encourage everybody to, to check this out. Um, spend a couple of hours on the site. It's just really fascinating. I, I've Thank I've you. enjoyed. I've, gone back many a time and listened to a lot of this stuff and uh, it's a delight. Um, let's move on to the section of our program now where we, we make recommendations and as usual we will start with Mr. Jeremy Goldcorn. I'd like to recommend a website about Chengdu in English uh, run by uh, a bunch of people that I spent some time with recently. ChengduLiving.com uh, and it's just uh, uh, articles about various aspects of 
life and culture in Chengdu, which, as I was saying, oh, is a very, very nice city. You know, everyone um, is a fan of that place. I, I really got to go spend some time. Great there. food, I mean, I've, I've nice laid-back people. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dufu's thatch cottage, you know. It's got everything going for it. Yeah. What else do you need in life? Yeah. Pandas. Pandas. We yeah. have those in Taiwan, though. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're borrowing. Pandas are common, but... Um, <laughs> so, yeah, chengduliving.com. Cool, cool. Kellen, do you have something for us? Yeah, I mean, I would just sort of... This is this is kind of broad, but I would recommend uh, visiting any overseas Chinese community. Uh, Korea would be a great one, personally, and, and just sort of... Uh, talk to some of the people, see what they're doing. It turns out, I mean, China, we probably know this, but China's a lot bigger than, than just China. Uh, and I think a lot of people sort of forsake that. So, Excellent. So, yeah, check out a, an overseas Chinese community. i all all about that. Steve, what do you have for us? I have a more serious recommendation. Okay. Um, all right. So down in uh, Yidran, which is in the southeast East. corner of uh, Beijing, some people think, think it's done. Not Beijing, but uh, there's there's a beautiful park that I go to and I exercise in every morning, and I highly recommend people go there. Uh, like you, you 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 haul yourself out to Yidrong every morning. <laughs> I live there. Oh, you live in Yidrong. What do you, what do you work for Nokia or something? What's out there? I mean, what, we're, what, we're, yeah, we're, what's out there? See, we're see. we're building a, an enormous um, data center out there. Oh yeah, so uh, that's that's why you need to go out there. It's not just data centers it's uh not nice. just coca-cola bottling i mean there's 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 yeah, great stuff out there that's so, my original home in in beijing actually. You're in oh really that's where i lived with you know, migrant yeah. workers dormitory well yeah the accent there i mean the dormitory got raised i'm sure anyway in this yeah. park there's a nice little hill and there's a well, so dormitory well, I can't remember the name. Okay, so yeah. a park in Yidrong. Yeah, a, a park in uh-huh. Yidrong. It's, it's the one by Sam's Club, isn't you it? Can, you can listen to the, <laughs> listen to the guys play Arhu. And this the two of you have very place. evasive recommendations, but we'll let I you know. get away with it because you're doing such a wonderful project with Phonemica. I, uh, I say, Mr. Bias. Yeah, uh, mine but, is going to be very, very specific. In fact, it's a, a particular band, and I'm going to, to um, in fact, go out uh, on a song from them uh, this band, by the time you folks will have heard this uh, podcast, they will have returned, hopefully, in triumph uh, from Wacken in Schleswig-Holstein in Germany, uh, the Wacken Open Air Festival, which they, along with my band, Chunchyo, are playing. Uh, they were one of two bands that were selected to go. They actually won a Battle of the Bands contest to be able to go. They are a, Mongol- from, they're a band from Inner Mongolia, and they sing in Mongolian uh Really cool stuff, and they're full tilt metal, but they've got like instruments like a horse head fiddle and um, a strange little three stringed kind of um, balalaika like instrument. <laughs> and you know they they do the whole Mongol regalia thing. It's just awesome. Some some throat singing and uh, and of course uh, metal lends itself well to sort of a Mongolian treatment. It's inherently Osman brutal. And exactly. War, in fact, in rape fact, rape and pillage and looting. In fact, the song I'm going to play for you is called Qibing, which means cavalry, uh-huh. and uh, and it's 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 a great little metal tune. I hope you guys enjoy this and uh, and you know and go go support Phonemica. Yeah. yeah thanks. thanks. Thanks for having us, Jerry. Yeah. Steve, thanks. Thanks for coming, man. Mm-hmm. Kellen, and uh, I hope you'll. Uh, Come see us again when you're back in town next. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, take care and uh, listen to this awesome song, Achieving, by the band Joe Ball. I don't think I even said the name of the band today. Joe Ball. Joe Ball. Joe Ball. Nine Treasures. Nine Treasures. Joe Ball. Joe Ball. Achieving. Take care. Oh,